question this morning for you is, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? So I found when I even ask myself that, sometimes it's easy to answer that question, but sometimes it's hard. What makes me happy? The reality is every person wants to be happy. Every person pursues happiness. No person goes into life to be miserable. You might think some people's aim at the world is to be miserable, but really them pretending they're miserable maybe is just what makes them happy. No one aims at a life that is sad or devastating or lonely. People want to be happy. That is our goal. That is our aim in this life. So the question we ask is, what makes you happy? And it's a hard one to answer. This morning, uh, we're going to finish off our time in Psalm 119. Uh, This is the 30th week we've been in this chapter of the Bible, the longest chapter of the Bible that has 22 sections and eight verses in every section. Uh, And here we actually are going to end where the psalm begins at the very beginning of this psalm in verses one through eight, because here um, it actually provides for us and it sets the stage for the entire psalm. Uh, It provides an excellent summary of what each of the rest of the chapter intends to point out. All 176 verses uh, are very, very similar in this psalm. Almost every, almost every single verse mentions the word of God in some way. Sometimes it's called the word, a precept, a command, God's way. But almost every single of this entire chapter, uh, every single verse mentions God's word. And so you see that the the point of this entire chapter of the Bible, the longest chapter in the Bible, is all about the centrality of the word of God. And so David starts this psalm. Let me read it for us. He starts it with blessedness or happiness. Psalm 119 verses 1 to 8 says this, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Blessedness here also could be translated happiness. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. It's interesting because you know that this blessedness is also the way the whole book of Psalms starts. If you know Psalm 1, what is it? Anybody know Psalm 1? Starts with blessedness. So does the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. His psalm, his um, Sermon begins with, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. So the idea is this contentedness, this, this happiness, this, it's joy, which is true and lasting contentment, but it's more than that. It is enjoyment of the present, blessedness. But what does this blessedness mean? Well, we know what it does not mean. This blessedness does not mean you get to own a private jet. You are blessed, therefore you have a private jet. 
and seven mansions on seven different lakes and any car you want. That's not what blessedness means, although some people today want to think I'm blessed means I'm rich. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean here, it it shows us multiple things, what blessedness is. And we've learned this not just through this section, but through the entirety of the psalm is blessedness is firstly, it's a freedom from wrath. We, We all know that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Our sins trap us like captives, like someone locked in a prison cell that cannot get out. And so is that a happy time? Is that a happy moment? A place where you're trapped, you've got handcuffs on, and you're actually drowning. That's not a happy moment. That is not a moment anyone pursues or desires. And so happiness comes from freedom from whatever is trapping us. Well, what traps us but sin? And so it's interesting here because it begins with, blessed are those whose way is blameless. If your way is not blameless, if your way is spattered with sin, so comes guilt. So comes shame. There's no blessedness. There is no happiness in shame and in guilt. There's no happiness there. And so he says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And you may think, even pause right there and think, well, count me out. There's no happiness for me because my way is definitely not blameless. I know what happened yesterday, and I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not blameless. I make awful mistakes in my thought life, in in my actions, in my attitude, in my speech. I'm not blameless. And so does that mean that there is no blessedness, no freedom from that captivity to my own sin? What's amazing is Jesus in John uh, John chapter 5, verse 24, says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from life to death. And so here Jesus even says, if you walk in the way of God, the way of the Lord, then you are delivered from that judgment. You don't come into judgment. You've passed from that death, that that entrapment. That sorrow, you've passed from that into life. In in Colossians, it says that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. To be sons, to be daughters, to be blessed is to be free from the the weight of our sin. To To be blessed is to be a friend of God. In John 15, 14, he says, you are my friends. Listen, if you do what I command. So that echoes this verse very well. Blessed are you, that blessedness of a friendship with God. Blessed are you if if your way is blameless, if you walk in the law of the Lord. You're a friend of God if you do what he commands. Blessedness also means that all things are ultimately working for your good. Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, all things, hard things, things you don't want, all things God is working together for the good of those who love him and who keep his commandments. He is working for our good. So we're free. We are a friend in God. We are always being worked for good. We are children and heirs of God. That's what it means to be blessed. And here we get stuck with looking at ourselves and say, I don't walk in the law of the Lord. I don't, verse 2, keep his testimonies. I don't seek him with my whole heart. 
Verse 3, I do wrong, and I don't walk in his ways. And so we look at these first three verses, and we count ourselves out. And so the question is, well, what makes you happy? What do you pursue? Do you pursue this true and lasting happiness? The reality is of this happiness, this blessedness, is not just for a moment. It's eternal. But the question is, who can, who can have it? Who can attain it? It's just like the disciples asked when Jesus said, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And the disciples said, who then can be saved? Like a camel can't go through the eye of a needle. Who, who can be saved? And Jesus replied, he said, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. And so, same applies for you and for me. When we look at these first three verses, we evaluate ourselves and we think, nope, not me. I, I can't say that that's me at all. So what then do we need? We need grace and mercy. Verse 1 there, blessed are those whose way is blameless and whose walk. So there's a, a walking in a certain way. What is that way? They walk in the law of the Lord. They walk in the law of the Lord. And in the boundaries that God has set out, they say, that's my path. That's my pursuit. That's going to be my joy and my happiness. They will walk in the way of the Lord. Well, you know that if left to your own devices, if left to yourself, if left to your own desires, you're not going to walk in the way of the Lord. You're going to walk in the way that pleases you for the moment. You're going to walk in the way of blindness. You're going to walk in the way of momentary gain, forgetting the eternal. Here he says, if you want to experience this blessedness, then there is a way, the way of the Lord, the way of, of obeying his commandments. And you, I love, because you, you can you know, read the Old Testament and you think well, that is a heavy load of commandments. 633 laws that I can't keep one of them. So then when Jesus was asked, well, what's the greatest of those commandments? You know, if I just got to keep my top five list, Jesus, what is it? And he captured them all in two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two laws that literally capture all of them. And those two laws are laws of love. It's amazing. Laws of love. And that is not a law of your morality or your ability to straighten yourself up. It's not your ability to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. It's a law of love. And we know that the love of God involves obeying Him and striving after Him and looking to Him. But it's firstly a law of love. Those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, well, Jesus captured the entire law of the Lord by saying, love God. Love others. And what that looks like is me just trying to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ with his help. I cannot do this on my own. I love Psalm 17. David talks about what, what he's satisfied with. Listen, he says in Psalm 17, 15, it says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I wake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Be satisfied with your likeness. That's what satisfies me, is me being like you. That's my, that's my goal. That's my aim. That's my pursuit. My pursuit is not whatever um, this world offers me as happiness, because it's going to fail you. You know, money offers happiness, supposedly, but money can disappear. 
Relationships offer all this happiness and all that comes from the relationship. Well, relationships fail you because it's another human being. They fail too. So what then can offer you this happiness but the likeness of Christ? Satisfaction in knowing Him and knowing Him more and seeing Him more. So David says, I'm, I wake in the morning and I'm satisfied with your likeness. I look in the mirror today and I'm more satisfied because I see more of Jesus than I did yesterday. Like imagine that. Imagine if you looked in the mirror at your own heart and today you saw that it was more like Jesus than yesterday. Would that not bring you joy? Would that not satisfy? Would that not make you happy that you look in the mirror tomorrow and you look more like Jesus than you did the day before? And as life goes on, you look more and more like Jesus. So the image you're looking at is satisfying. Not that it's you and not that you've done something amazing or great or you've been able to sort yourself out, but instead... God's transforming you and producing fruit in you so that you look at the mirror and you say, look what you have done. That satisfies. And that's what David says is they who walk in the way of the Lord, that is, just follow after God, listen when he says, and, and walk. And the interesting thing is it's, it's all about obedience, isn't it? Obeying what God says. Do hard things for God. Don't pursue what you feel is right in the moment if it's contrary to what God has said. That. That's straightforward. It's hard, but it's straightforward. It's not a difficult way to follow in terms of understanding if that's right or wrong. God has set out his way. And that's why I love all of Psalm 119. It just shows us again and again, God's concern for us is that we would be Bible-centered people, that we would flow out of this word that he has given us so that we can experience this happiness. He has given it to us. He has given us the key to actually enjoying a moment where otherwise, if we follow ourselves or we get wrapped up or, or tunnel vision, we don't experience what we could. And so he gives it to us in his word. And Psalm 119 tells us again and again, points us back to the word of God. That's where we're satisfied. That's where we're going to grow. That's where we're going to get to know the God we're going to become like. This is the way. Who walk in the law of the Lord. It says in verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Who seek him with their whole heart. The question is for me. For you do we seek him? And if we do. Is it with our whole heart? Are we diligent in seeking him? Are we uh, completely given over to seeking him? Or is it just when we need him? Is it just in a moment where we feel lost or lonely, then we seek him? Or is it a whole heart, a life-driven goal? I desire to know God and to know him increasingly. Is that the moment you wake up is what you desire? That's not my desire. My desire is a coffee. And then to try to get one foot on the floor and another foot on the floor. Uh, I don't seek him with my whole heart. I'm broken in this way. And I imagine if you're like me, you're broken too. And so I don't know if you come to this and you say, if you're more discouraged reading this or not, thinking that's not me and it never will be. That's where we appeal again to the grace and the mercy of God. This is, this is what he desires for us, right? And so as James says, you know, ask and it will be given to you. That says it in, in the Gospels as well, but in James where it says, ask with the right heart motivation. Don't just ask so that you can feel better about yourself. Don't just ask so that others can feel better about you either. Ask so that you might know him more. 
that you might seek him with your whole heart. You won't do that naturally. Your heart is still plagued with sin. It still has lots of effects of all your wrong desires. And so your whole heart is kind of ruined unless God transforms it. And so this, again, be encouraged. This is not something that you do in your strength so that, so that when you fail, you're just let down and you say, well, what's even the point? I can't seek God with my whole heart. I can't even seek him with a 10% of my heart. Well, what, why, why would I even bother? Well, it's because, of course, you can't seek him. Your heart is plagued with sin. But God, by his power within you, is the one who, who draws you out, who gives you delight in himself and shows you the other side. He's working all things for your good. Remember, that's part of this blessedness, that this trial you're going through, this difficulty, this, this failure you're facing. He's working it for your good so that you realize don't depend on yourself. Don't depend on this moment or this thing or that thing to try to be your goal, to try to fix you today. It's not your fix. What is, is, is the likeness of Christ. Is that your aim? Is that your goal? And are you asking of his help with your whole heart? It's a surrender. And that's what we know. You know, you know that to be true. If you've ever surrendered your life to Christ, you've said, yes, I need Jesus. I can't follow my way anymore. Living this way is not satisfying. I can't trust my own good deeds. All I got is sin. I'm not getting to heaven. And if you trust in Jesus, you come to him. You say, take all of my sin. Take all of my failure. I I can't do it anymore. I need you. And Jesus, you know from the gospel, says, it's mine. I'll take it all. He takes on all your sin and all your guilt and all of your shame. And he bears it in himself before the anger of God. So that on the other side, you might be a new creation. You might be resurrected anew so that that's no longer on your record. You don't have to carry that anymore. You come to Christ. If you've been made new in that way, maybe in that moment you said, I I give you my whole self. I surrender all, all to Jesus. But as we sang, it's nothing in our hands we bring. It's simply to the cross we cling. There's nothing that you have to offer this. And so even when it comes to us seeking God with our whole heart, realize you have nothing to offer but surrender, but weakness, but dependence. And that's what we've seen time and time again through this entirety of this psalm. We just see the centrality of God's word, which shows us our utter dependence on God again and again for every moment every breath, every day. And so we depend on him no differently when it comes to our heart. I need you, God, to make my heart wholehearted for you. I know that I'm divided and I'm dissatisfied with that. And so what do you do when you're dissatisfied with something? What do you do if you smell something in your house that's off? Something that stinks, do you just leave it? No, you're dissatisfied with the smell, so you go on a hunt and you find the thing and you remove it. Well, what are those things in your life and in your heart that are not allowing you to give parts of your heart to God? What are those things? Are you seeking them out? Are you attacking them? Or are you befriending them? Are you excusing them? Are you trying to mask them up and cover them over and say, you know what, I'll deal with that another time or I can't deal with it at all. Or I'm satisfied with this thing. I know it's not a big deal. Are there things in your heart that you know that part is not God's and I can't give it to him? You... If, if you spend time to evaluate your own heart, your own areas you want to take control of and you won't let go, you know that this isn't true of you. And, and maybe that's why it disturbs you. That when it says, blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart, you know that your whole heart is not given to God. And, and you're holding on to things. Well, we have to let go. 
We have to let go, not let go and let God. That's a strange phrase. What we need to do is let go and depend on God. That's more like it. And so the same thing is true with your heart. The heart that you know is not fully for God. Give it over to him in prayer again and again. And in verse 3, he goes on to say, those who do no wrong, but walk in his ways. We walk in his ways if we know his ways. It's interesting, as Paul, in Romans chapter 7, talks about the law, he talks about the word of God, and he says, I would not have known that it was sin to covet had God not told me so. I wouldn't have known that that was wrong. He says, my moral compass in my heart is a bit broken. And so my heart tells me things are right until I come to God's word and it corrects me and says, no, that, that's wrong. That does not love God and it doesn't love others. So that's a great kind of a, a level that, that shows us, are you in the right direction or are you not? Is this loving to God? Is this loving to others? Is this glorifying to God? Is it going to bring him praise or is it going to defame him? And is this loving to others? And so we walk in his ways that he shows us. So we, we know how not to do, we even know what is wrong, because it says, those who do no wrong, well, how do you know what's wrong? If you just trust your heart, man, go to a different culture that says cannibalism's fine. Is that, right? The word is our, is our moral compass, and it in, in comes into our heart, and as we intake it, as we memorize it, as we surrender to it, and we allow it to really, to hurt us, to say, you're wrong. That's wrong. That thing you desired is wrong. And so we, we come to the word of God and we, if we're honest and we allow it to truly examine our hearts, we are left broken, aren't we? And say, I am, I am not good. When I thought, oh, you know, people are pretty good people. Unless you're something like Hitler, you're a good person. I'm a good person. Until you come to the word of God and it tells you, no, you're not. No one's good. And no one seeks after God. And no one's righteous. And you think, now I'm in trouble. But then his ways, it says, his way is the way of the cross. It's a way of grace. It's a way of surrender. It's a way of freedom from all of that brokenness. And it's not you. It's totally dependent on the power and the strength of God. Each person reads about the blessedness and says, how can I get there? Well, it's all by God's mercy, his way. Verse 4, he says to God, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Do you keep them at all, let alone diligently? Verse 5, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. I love that he uses the term steadfast there, this, this idea of persistence, this idea of continuing and, and, and going on in the faith. Well, if you read the book of Jude, in the very end, it tells us that, that God keeps our faith. That it is God. That you, in your own strength, in your own ability, could not keep the faith because you're broken and you're a sinner. You can't keep the faith without God. And so when you feel like you're not keeping the faith and you feel like you are not steadfast in your relationship with him, you come to him, you look to him, you say, I, I know your word says that you are able to keep me from stumbling. You say that. And so you come and you appeal to God himself and say, I want to be this, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. In order for that to be the desire of our heart, in our pursuit of happiness, then we, it's again, it's all surrender. 
It's surrender to God. It's, it's admitting our need of Him, admitting our, our desire to be the way He wants us to be. Verse 6, He says, Then I shall not be put to shame. Isn't that true? If your way is blameless, if you have nothing on your account, then what is there to be in shame about? Then I shall not be put to shame. The beauty is, even though you don't keep his commandments, you will not keep his commandments perfectly, you will not be put to shame. There is no more condemnation for you. Romans 8.1 says that. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You can't condemn yourself. Satan himself cannot condemn you, though he tries. And God will never condemn you. Those who are in Christ, do you know why there's no condemnation left for you? There's no shame left for you? Because Jesus took it all. All of it. All of your shame. Everything that you should be ashamed about. He took it. On himself. Hung there. Naked on a cross. Abused. Beaten. Died. In shame. For your sin and for mine. And then he was condemned before God. So that we come out on the other side, believing in Jesus. He's taken my shame, my condemnation. And I come out on the other side. And I can say that. Oh, Uh, that I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I, I see all your commandments, and I see, for me, in faith that Christ has fulfilled them all, and that I'm found in him. And so I am utterly thankful that, you know, you read Psalm 119, and it's all about the word of God, and you might say about yourself again and again, I don't meet the standard, I don't meet the standard, I don't meet the standard. I've never kept that. I'm unable to do that. I can't walk in that way. But then you come and you remember who Christ is. You remember that he has kept the law to the T, that he has been perfectly righteous in all of his ways, and that you, if you trust in him, are hidden in him. You're hidden in him. You are found in him. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see shame and things to be uh, uh, condemned about. He looks at you and he sees Christ. He says, you're righteous and holy and pure. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. You're welcome. There's warm embrace for you. I am I'm overjoyed. I sing over you with a song of joy. I'm glorified in you, not because of what you've done and not because of what you've been able to even keep up with, even as a Christian, but all because of Jesus. You know, when, when God billows from the sky, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Do you know you are hidden in that son? You are clothed in that son, the one whom God says he's well pleased with? If you are in Jesus, he looks at you and he's well pleased. So when you read Psalms and you read the Old Testament, you read anywhere about, you know, you know this is the way that you are satisfied is if you just keep his commandments, you're diligent about it, and you're perfect, and you're utterly let down, remember Christ. Remember that you are found in him. In verse 7, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Well, if you're like me, when you learn his righteous rules, you just get further and further from wanting to praise him because you realize how utterly sick you are, how grotesque you are before God. But you do praise him as you learn his righteous rules are fulfilled. You learn from his word that there is a coming day, a Messiah who would come. That's what I love about the Old Testament is they're, they're always anticipating because they are, they're trapped and they're feeling trapped. I can't keep up with this law. I am not blameless. 
So they're anticipating the day of the coming Messiah, the one who would deliver them from their sin, who would save them. And we have seen him. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we then get to praise him. I will praise you with an upright heart, a heart that is not upright in its own standing, but upright in Christ. A heart that is wholly devoted, diligent, steadfast to Jesus. Jesus says, love God, love others. And the only way we're ever going to do that is by his power in us, by his strengthening us and showing us our frailties so that we again come in dependence to him. It is such a good reminder of our need, but it's such a good reminder that we have satisfaction in Christ, that all that we have that makes us maybe let down in ourselves, depressed as we read this because we can never keep it up and we if this is where happiness comes from, it's not ever going to be mine. But instead, you, you look and you look at this text with Jesus in mind. Blessed, is who's, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Well, Jesus was the spotless, blameless Lamb of God who walk in the law of the Lord. He walked it perfectly. Who, who keep his testimonies. Jesus kept every word of God who seek him with their whole heart. Look at Jesus' life. Everything he did was for the glory of God. He sought him with his whole heart, with everything in him. He did no wrong. He walked in all of his ways. He kept all the precepts diligently. He was steadfast to God and steadfast in keeping his statutes. He had his eyes fixed on his commandments. He praised the Godhead. He learned his righteous rules and he kept them. It's amazing. When you look at this text in light of yourself, it's sad. When you look at it in light of and you hidden in Jesus, there's rejoicing upon rejoicing. Because blessedness can be yours, but it's not found in material things or things in this earth or in what you can accomplish. It's all found in you surrendering all. All to Jesus. And coming in him and being found in him. And so the question that people ask is what makes you happy? Well, what makes me happy is the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in him, all of these things are satisfied. And in Him, and the more I know him, so then the pursuit of happiness should really be the pursuit of Christ. The pursuit of knowing him. And as David said in Psalm 17 that I quoted, in his likeness. That's where our happiness should be. It should make us happy that Jesus has promised, and I love, you know, in Philippians 1, 6, a verse we quote quite often is he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. This is God's work. So when you look in the mere five days from now and you see more of Jesus, that's God's work. He will bring it to completion that you look more like Jesus. He will grow you. He will encourage you. And he will bless you through the Lord and your relationship with him. What makes you happy? There's lots of things in life that make us happy. Lots of things in life that bring us joy. But remember, they're, they're only momentary. They fade as quick as they come sometimes. So let us not be those who are just in this constant pursuit of the next thing to make us happy. But let us pursue Christ. Pursue him with all that we have in, in utter dependence upon God's strength in our pursuit. So that one day we may be ultimately happy. In Psalm 16, it says, For in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get a taste of that in this moment, but still, still hindered by sin. One day we will have the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore when we are with him in heaven. 
happy as can be. Let's pray. God, we think about our own pursuit of you, and it's so tainted. It's so, uh, it's got ups and downs and backwards, and it's got days where it's dark, days where it is uh, just non-existent almost. And we confess that we have a great need of you. We have a great need of your strength in us and, and even your encouragement in us. We often will read your word and be maybe left discouraged because we know our failures. We know that this has not been our experience. So in those moments, in those days, in those seasons, we need your grace. We need your help to be able to look to Christ and to, be, to understand what it means to be found in him, to be hidden in, in his shelter, under his wing, that we can stand upon him and not our doing. God, we need this reminder. We need you to instill that in our hearts because we're often lost. So we thank you that there is blessedness, that there is blessedness when we know you, when we obey you. And the more we obey you, the more we do enjoy you, just practically. And so help us to do that. Help us to constantly look to Christ, but then also look to loving you with everything we have, loving others, and living for your glory so that we may be satisfied with your likeness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.